Hey everybody, we're back for another commission podcast. Apologies for being gone so long on these, uh, but we're back in the saddle. And uh, today we're talking about Reservoir Dogs, the directorial debut, independent directorial debut by Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. And uh, as as befits a small indie project, this was a small indie commission. Uh, Steven Sprague, Seltz 77, Laura Hamilton, ZTZMKE, ZTZIEMKE, and Don C., Chipped in a little bit each to to make this commission happen, or maybe one of them chipped in like ninety percent of it. Don't know. It didn't look. <laughs> didn't look. This is a democracy, man. Um, so, this is the first time you've seen this movie. No. How many times have you seen it? You think three, maybe? I think this is my third time too, and I've seen them about five years apart. Okay. What did you think about the movie? Uh. Some maybe maybe a little background on this first. I definitely saw Pulp Fiction before I saw this. Oh yeah, um, and and I went back and I heard about this Reservoir Dogs. Heard it was from Tarantino. I was like, yeah, awesome. I want more of the Pulp Fiction. Uh, and I think that's pretty much what I got. I, I think this is very akin to Pulp Fiction yeah. um, in a lot of ways. And uh, I I had like a lot of respect for this movie. I thought. Um, it was just awesome. Like the, the, the style of Tarantino and I still do. I, I like Tarantino's style in basically everything he does. Uh, but watching it this, this latest time, I really got the impression that it was sort of the warm up for the story that he really wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see like all of his flair, all of his stylistic, um, I, I guess leanings, but, Somehow it comes up a little flat for me okay. in, in subsequent viewings. It's interesting because I remember the first time I saw it. So my my I had seen by this time I'd seen Pulp Fiction, I'd seen uh, Kill Bill. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what were the uh, I because I know I hadn't seen the Pam Greer one because we just saw that. Yep. But I, I you know I his reputation like I, I had seen I know I hadn't seen like Hateful Eight or. Uh, Django, but I'd seen Inglorious Bastards, I think, and I, I was, it, 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 and I, I watched it for the first time, and I remember thinking this felt like the pilot Quentin Tarantino shot for Pulp Fiction. Uh-huh. The network had a bunch of notes, then he went back and replaced some actors, and then you got Pulp Fiction, right? And it's like this type of movie perfected, but. So I was not disappointed, but like, okay, well, that that's kind of exactly what it feels like, and I think that's exactly what it is, but. Now that I've gone back and saw it for the third time, I'm getting a little bit hidden depths where he's saying some interesting things, like maybe not, maybe not novel things about the paranoia of criminals and and the tension mm-hmm. of being in a criminal enterprise, but some some interesting things about like something akin to Stockholm syndrome, where you like you meet someone that's even got a radically different objective than you or like your political stand, but then you find out you like them mm-hmm. or you find out if someone that you naturally like, you get to know and it turns out they're untrustworthy or unreliable. And there's some interesting things about that. Um, 
that I think still survive and are 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 impressive statements, especially the the the, the way the with with the performances he got out of it and of his a small amount of money that was made this this movie sure, was made yeah. for. So I it's weird because I feel like we flip flop positions a little bit. Yeah, I I do want to say that I think this is just an outstanding debut. Mm-hmm. Like I can't think of many debuts that were better than this. Yeah. Like, was Sylvester Stallone de- like a debut on Rocky? Because he directed that, right? And he wrote it. He wrote it. I didn't think he directed it. Oh Maybe no, he no, did. no. He didn't. He didn't direct that one. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote that one. So never mind. Because um, uh, I would say that one was maybe a little bit better, but this one is just incredible as right. a, as a debut film, feature film. Yeah. Um, I I think I think so too, and especially like you said, the gifts that are on display. You're talking about like mostly dialogue but there's also some really impressive like i thought you know stuff that's hard to get done cheaply like staging a fight Mm -hmm. like when harvey keitel belts um uh uh, steve buscemi early in the scene like that felt like a real punch Uh i know it's a little bit of trick photography but like big budget movies nowadays can't throw a convincing (laughs) punch sometimes yeah like I feel like an atomic blonde I saw a couple times where it is some WWE shit. Um and that's like and then like the final like the uh, Mexican standoff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I've 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 got my sound system cranked and I'm watching it and I'm getting caught up on this all over again and how the the initiating gunfire just it almost goes off simultaneously and it's yeah. such a great great end to that kind of scene. It's mm-hmm. not like you shot me and then staggers and I shot you and it staggers. <laughs> it just like happens almost simultaneously, yeah. which makes it cooler and more explosive and like, what the fuck? So, and, and there's always that sense with Tarantino that you're kind of just getting into these people's lives, right? Like yeah. that, that's what the opening diner scene is all about. Yeah. It's just like, I'm sitting at that table, right. just watching these people have a conversation. This isn't doing. a movie. Right. I don't know how they met, Yeah, but it's just selling me on like, everyone's had these, conversations amongst their friends where someone reveals maybe a little bit too much about themselves or thinks that they've got a mainstream opinion on tipping and they don't. (laughs) And it's weird how he seamlessly integrates like those very real moments. Like just that's how a a Mexican standoff, for lack of a better term, would play out. Right. Right. Like it isn't this thing where it's oh super dramatic and like they're everybody gets their chance to shine on screen. Right. It's just everybody gets gunned down immediately. Yeah. Uh, but he, he blends it seamlessly with the more theatric, the theatrical kind of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. where Michael Madsen is dancing around before he's ready to torture, as he's getting ready to torture this guy. Like, right. that stuff probably doesn't happen in real life, but mm-hmm. it, somehow he blends the two into something that is really compelling. And he gets the actor to to pay it off. Yeah. Like, Michael Madsen is kind of that crazy. Like, uh-huh. you buy him as, like, in the scene where he's, like, this kind of loyal lieutenant, but then you also buy him as this crazy person. And I felt like the same thing, that they, they use that duality to good effect and kill Bill, too. Yeah, Like, he's yeah. the every guy, every man getting shit on at the bar, at the titty bar, but then he's also this, you know, deadly assassin that is right. super professional. Uh, it, it's It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I got a bunch of... Like, I got more just observations than I do, like, big thematic points. So I do have one other big thematic point. Do you think we should tackle that first? Yeah, or? let's do the big stuff first, and then we'll talk about okay. the trivial stuff. The other, thing, the other thing that I thought was really interesting about this movie, you know, I talk about, like, the Stockholm Syndrome, or I don't even think that's the right word. It's more 
like in the end, Big Joe gets in a, a screaming match with Mr. White, and they're essentially, fuck you, I know this man. Uh-huh. Fuck you, I know this man. And the thing is, is like, it's almost a, it's a Schroding, Schrodinger's gangster because until they pop, pull the trigger and find out the truth, like, I mean, it's, and I've seen a million movies where Joe is the crazy guy and, you know, Mr. Orange is innocent. Yeah. And this is the movie where he's the cop and, and Harvey Keitel bets against his long time friend because he's just convinced, like, I, I've had too many authentic moments with this guy. Mm-hmm. And they also show, like, from Tim Roth's position as Mr. Orange, like, when his react, his, like, really great acting job when he's seeing cops and civilians being shot as mm-hmm. an undercover policeman. Yeah. And the depths that he's willing to go and the sacrifices he's willing to make. And then at the end, you know, like, it, it cuts both ways because Harvey Keitel is completely suckered in and all, all Mr. Orange has to do is play gangster for... 30 more seconds. Yeah. But his respect and love for this guy, and what they show is like when he's listening to Harvey Keitel list off like, here's how you do it. If you got a, a, a person that's give wants to be a hero, you slap him in the nose and, and like, it's like you could tell he doesn't want to hurry. It reminded me a lot of the, the pimp speech in the first episode of the, the deuce, the deuce where it's like, if you, uh-huh. if you ever wanted to cut a bitch, no, but sometimes like, that's like Harvey's like, I don't want, I want to do the least amount of pain and I'm horrified by this other guy who's a psychopath. Yeah. Um, but he's his respect for him has, has grown and like this this camaraderie that he owes him the truth and it gets them all killed. Uh, yeah, and the way they reveal all the information here, they I say they like it was not Quentin mm-hmm. Tarantino doing basically everything here. Uh, the way that he unveils this information is, I think, crucial to the tension of this entire movie. And it's easy to kind of dismiss like the jump jumping around in the timeline as like right. a just artistic flair that. You know, it doesn't mean that much. But if you look at the right. movie, I feel like so much of of the timing, so much of the tension comes from the timing of the information reveal. Yeah. Like, if you know from the jump that Mr. Orange is a cop, it doesn't work. Because uh-huh. um, we're, we're the the entire time we're pointing to that guy saying, yeah, I'd kill him, you know? Oh, honestly, the first time I saw it, I thought I smoked out the Mr. White was the cop. Uh-huh. In like the first fifteen minutes, and I was I was like it, it left a sour taste in my mouth because I was just like wait I just waiting smugly to be proven right, yeah. And then I wasn't, and then I'm not I'm not sure. It's like sometimes that movie can be weird. Like you get in your head that you're right, and then your internal biases kick in, and like you're mad at the director for <laughs> throwing you a curveball when he thought you smoked you, it yeah. out. So like I it's like that's the thing. Like my estimation of this movie continues to rise. And I wonder if, like, the first, like, the fact that he telegraphs it and I just bid on that. It's like he's a quarterback mm-hmm. pumping a fake. And I just fucking went all in <laughs> and then got scored on and and it it, it, it it interfered with my ability to judge the merits of the film. Yeah, uh, maybe early on. Well, but, yeah, now that you're seeing it again. The, the other thing with the, the point I want to develop is it, and, and this is, like, the third time I'm seeing it, I'm seeing how also, like, I said that Joe was right. But him and, and uh, is a nice Eddie? Uh yeah, whatever the whatever his good, son is good called. boy Eddie, um yeah. friendly Eddie. Uh, they were wrong too, because their guy, uh, Michael Marston, like or My- Madsen, yeah. he he's he was psych- he's psychotic. He's loyal, but something yeah. went wrong with him in prison. Yeah, something has gone bad wrong with this guy, and he's a fuck. He's a fucking mad dog. Yeah, like maybe they don't care about the cop, but it does sound like all accounts that he just fuck like. 
you killed these guys because they didn't send an alarm because like this isn't this isn't a fucking roguelike. These cashiers aren't going to go to an afterlife and remember, oh, next time this guy walks in to a diamond store, he's never going to like it. It makes no fucking sense. His defense of this. Yeah. So it's like Joe and and Mr. White are simultaneously right and simultaneously wrong. And that's the interesting thing about human <laughs> beings, because we're all capable of anything. Like, it's a wonder we trust each other at all. Uh-huh. Um, the stakes aren't usually quite as high. But, no, but, you know, but yeah. that's that's the thing. I, and I feel like that's the other thing is, um, you know, these criminal types, it seems like that's another big thing is, like, they trade in stereotypes and, hmm. uh, you know, because it's all about being street smart. Like, you know, in, in a more enlightened segment of society and in more enlightened times you don't think that everyone's going to fuck you over sure like you know most of the time we all get along and we think we're good and we 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 obey the law and we contribute to civilization and everything is fine it's like the assholes like sometimes you get taken advantage of and robbed or murdered in the street but y'all if we all acted like that's a possibility mm-hmm. civilization wouldn't work and like yeah. that's why it's like they so heavily trade me because like they're just like they're not going to give a shit about like oh this is the one guy that I got pegged wrong I don't know that guy that could that could be my ass yeah but it's also you know that that kind of feeling in society where yeah every, everybody's pretty much working together is also what enables them to get away with the stuff they get away with right like exactly it's it's kind of a double edged sword but one that one that we have to I guess hold on to and that's the thing like that's the Harvey Keitel's thing is like I've got this down to science this is just business like yeah. some people are going to get hurt but they're not going to get dead mm-hmm. they're going to get shook up and you know they're going to be scared Pistol for whipped or whatever yeah but like yeah. I'm not you know I'm 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 this is a victimless crime some Israeli is going to be pet pissed and he's going to file an insurance claim and uh-huh. everything's going to be made good and I'm going to be richer and then then Michael Madsen starts blowing people away. So yeah. I, I just think that is like a really, uh, really subtle and an interesting way to tell that kind of basic story, which gives it a little yeah. bit more depth than I appreciated the first few times where it's just like, oh, God, it's a sick. It's got a sickening torture scene and it's got some snappy dialogue and a little bit of a, you know, ham fisted whodunit. But I, I, I like that parts of it a lot more this time around. Yeah, and I think there's something in there. It's it's briefly shown to us about the cops and the robbers kind of being the same, but looking at each other as the enemy. Like, because mm-hmm. you get like a lot of conversations where they're just people being people and telling yeah. stories, like around the the, the diner table. Um, and then when Tim Roth goes into that bathroom and the cops are there in the train station or wherever the hell he is. Uh-huh. Um, they're kind of just doing the same thing, right? They're standing around shooting the shit, telling stories. Right. Like they're, they are one in the same, but they're both opposed to each other. Right. And, and ne- no, neither side there is viewing the other as like them in any way. Well, I think that's brilliant because that commode yeah. story is bullshit. Like it's stuff sure. that Tim Roth or Mr. Orange made up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when when this this guy is like giving him the script and saying you got to get this down you got to add your details you got to like this is what's going to get you in and it's this mm-hmm. guy named Randy Brooks who I feel like is Quentin Tarantino's Sam Jackson before he found Sam Jackson I think so yeah like it's amazing to the extent that this guy is doing a Sam Jackson or maybe Sam Jackson's doing a Randy Brooks I think this might have yeah. come up a little bit in the discussion around our. Because we had this, like, like when did Sam Jackson become Sam Jackson? Because uh-huh. there came a point in time where Sam Jackson became Sam fucking Jackson. And, like, right around Pulp Fiction, people argue about when it happened. But then, like, he's played 
the same fucking character with rare exception in every goddamn movie he's been in. Not, yeah. I'm not complaining. No, I'm not love, complaining. Love the character. But as Randy yeah. Brooks is like, you know, the Samuel L. Like pre-Sam Jackson, Sam Jackson, and he's got this commode story. Um, but that conversation he's having with Mr. Orange is almost exactly analogous to the conversation that Mr. White has with Mr. Orange. Hmm. Like, yeah. here's how these guys think, and here's the way you're going to short-circuit their human reactions to get the desired effect. Mm-hmm. They're both, like, exploiting core human mechanics to get the things that they want. One For is sure, to capture yeah. the bad guys, and the other guys, the bad guys are wanting to get rich. And to I, go, that's, that's, that's really great. I love, I love it. Yeah, and to go... Real quickly back to the the structure of this, I think Tarantino is doing a little bit of that himself. He's exploiting kind of what the audience is feeling yeah. at any moment. Where so so there's um there's some part of the movie where they kind of reveal all the shit that Tim Roth has seen and gone through. Right, he's seen right. people gunned down, very he's like blown away. The third a woman. Act where you actually go back to the store and you see their fight right. from it. Yeah, yeah, and then right after that, they go in and they show you him kind of flipping the tables on on yeah. the situation like why he would risk blowing his cover yeah. to like save this cop right yeah um i i think that's brilliant just showing us like okay he's had enough and here's why and here's why he would risk this whole operation to try and help this cop yeah because there's so much blood in his hands already yeah <laughs> literally uh but that's <laughs> there is. you know like to your point about we don't usually see these types of people in these situations, like that speech that Harvey Keitel's given him about, you know, it was like, stay with me, say you're going to be okay. That shit usually seen in a war film. Yeah. Like two, like one hero comforting another hero in their final moment or trying to give him the will to love. Like you very rarely see that in like a criminal underworld context. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a interesting way to 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 see that because it it again reveals the underlying humanity and contrast them to what the hell is the color of my of uh, Michael Madsen blonde oh mr Bl- of course yeah. mr blonde like contrast to mr blonde who just uh, he lacks that that decency gene and i guess that's the other thing is like there's you know you've got you've got your tucos and you've got your gusses Mm-hmm. And Harvey Keitel is at the at at, at at his bottom, more of a Gus type, and uh, Joe is more of a Tuco, um, and his son same way, which is another surprise because you think his son is a nice guy; he's called Nice Guy Eddie or whatever, right? And then he's a motherfucker at the end. Yeah, those names are always ironic, right? Well, yeah. but I think like that's kind of like I thought he was like you know well like wow the, the apple fell very far from the tree because this guy's not nearly the gravitas that Joe that Joe's got. Like it's kind of like a uh, a got you know a, a Vito versus Sonny Corleone kind of thing. Not quite Vito <laughs> the the Sonny or to uh, to, Joe, to, yeah. to, to now a uh, fucking Alfredo. Oh no, no, not no. that far of a fall, but yeah, 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 to 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 Sonny for sure. But then in the end, like he's like when he comes in, he's like, let me let me make sure I understand you. Like that, he like instantly changes into a for, uh, to a person you have to take serious. Yeah, he handles some business, and I haven't taken to. him serious throughout the whole fucking movie. He dresses yeah. like a, a fucking idiot. He talks like a fucking idiot, uh-huh. uh, and he suddenly turns into a serious person. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, so we we talked a little bit about you know the the differences, I guess, um, between Pulp Fiction and this, uh, but they are apparently connected. Um, so there, there's some there's something where what is Vic, connected? Vic Vega is mentioned. Well, um, wasn't a Marcellus? I, 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 the name Marcellus jumped out to me too about some kind of connection. Did they say that? Uh, like okay. Some kind of diamond connection. I don't think it was. So Marcellus this is supposed Wallace. to be like a, a brother, I think, or a cousin. 
Okay. Of of Vega of John Travolta's character. Uh-huh. And I think actually he wanted to get John Travolta for this movie. Right. But he couldn't. And I'm maybe I'm wrong about that. I, I remember reading like a few weeks There's ago. There's a about lot this. of lore. Like I, I was reading a lot of lore about this uh be why I, why I was doing my research and like but it turns out you you ride some of these down and it's not true. Like I read this, like because huh, I was like, okay. "Why is it called Reservoir Dogs?" Have you heard the classic story that about the patron in the video store? Well, it's, I've heard it both ways. One is Quentin Tarantino couldn't pronounce uh, "au revoir les enfants," and he would just say it's the res the that Reservoir movie. And then <laughs> okay, then he like he mashed that up with like Sam Peckinpah's Straw, Straw Dogs and came up with Reservoir Dogs. And then the other one was like a, a patron came and asked him for a movie recommendation, and he gives him this snooty French film, and it's like yeah. I don't want nothing about no Reservoir Dogs, <laughs> right? And it turns out that I guess that's just all bullshit, according to Quentin Tarantino. Huh. Like that's that's just a name. Like you don't know why, but you instantly intuit that these guys are Reservoir Dogs, and like it's a very evocative. It's kind of like an, it's like he it uses is. words like an impressionist painting. Like I, yeah. I know exactly like these dogs fighting over to scrap and like a half dried up LA river kind of thing. Right. Right. And, and they're turning on each other and like, and, and there's all this struggle for Supreme. Like I get it, but I have no, I, could, I can't articulate it. Yeah. It's like, I know what it means, but I can't say it. And that's what he insists is, is the truth. So I found a couple things like that. And I wonder like, this is such but a, there's a lot of references, like K. Billy's Swinging Sound of the '70s or whatever. That's yeah. also in Pulp Fiction, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Like I'm, I would not be surprised, as I recall, but maybe I'm wrong. If there can, because again, I this does feel very much like uh, uh, a student film that he fleshed out into Pulp Fiction. It's got the same kind yeah, of like yeah. timey wimey stuff. It's got the same kind of so- titles. It's got the same kind of like basic structure where it opens up mm-hmm. with two guys talking about. You know, so how much of that is just in internal homage and how much is him intentionally world building? It's right. like, you know, like if you get into the weeds of like straight dope dot com's like discussion of like Mar- what's in the suitcase for Marcellus Wells. It's his soul because he's got a bandaid on the back of his neck and everyone right. knows and some hunt that the soul comes out of people's necks. Like, wh- <laughs> what? What? Yeah. Really? Did he mean that? Or is this just like a MacGuffin and and Marce- and and uh uh, the guy cut himself shaving that day or had some bad – like what I've heard is that he had bad acne that he was self-conscious oh. on. Uh, uh, so he slapped that Band-Aid over to cover it. And now it's like there's all <laughs> okay. these theories that are just bullshit. Uh-huh. Or maybe they're not. Maybe that's just uh, Quentin Tarantino fucking with this. That's the thing. And like, how much? Too. How much does Tarantino even know? Like when he makes a movie yeah. – like, like me with podcasting. If you were to come up to me and say – so. In in this podcast, you use this word to describe something. Yeah. Why did you make that choice? And I would say, that's not a fucking choice. That's just what I would say in that situation or, based on my life. Or people ask like, us, like, well, how do you work up? That could just be his style, right? Like, how do you work up those bits? You, and, like, there are some bits we do work up, like the skits and stuff we, we used to do, not as much anymore. But, like, the vast majority is just, yeah, it's like, no, that's just the shit we would say if we were <laughs> right not having a mic in front of it. Like, I'm, It's just I, our style. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how much of Tarantino – it feels like a lot of Tarantino stuff is just his style. He's not – Yeah. Like he is a, a, a movie file, a right. cinema file certainly. Um, and he has an extensive knowledge of, of cinema and especially of a certain genre. But I, I feel like there are times when he uses that intentionally. Mm-hmm. And there are other times where it's he's influenced by that, but he wouldn't necessarily say 
this was the direct influence. No, yeah, yeah. I I I totally agree with that, and that's where like a lot of his film feels like mashup culture mm-hmm. because you know he throws this war buddy speech into something about gangsters. Yeah. Or he throws in contemporary hip hop into a song about a slave struggle to free his his, his family from Candyland. Like mm-hmm. he he is like he breathes in all this pop culture and all these influences that were important to him and he remixes them and he throws them out there in a new fresh way with insanely talented actors yeah. who are charisma off the fucking charts and he gives them A plus plus dialogue and yeah. it, it works. Can I just say I think the standout of this movie is Michael Madsen? He yeah. is so fucking scary in this movie. Yes, he's got a like a very charm. Like the fact that he's just so fucking calm. Yeah, like no, it's white draws down creepy. on him, and he doesn't like. I yeah. I don't think he cares whether he lives or dies, and right. that's that's very scary. It's powerful too. Yeah, um, that that is like a superpower if you just don't like, give a shit. And I, it's just so funny because I was listening to Dan Harmon talk about this this weekend. Uh, he was on Harmon Town. He was talking about like he was watching Godfather Two for like the fiftieth time, and it like hit mm-hmm. him that like you know young Vito Corleone, he just went to the old Godfather who was just kind of like this guy who was muscling down orange stands and living in this shabby brownstone and he just like his his superpower was he ran across a roof hit out in a hallway and shot a guy he had no bodyguards there was no security in the building and like i think he doesn't get the fact that being willing to kill someone is a superpower it's very hard to do and it's dangerous and like if you have that strength to do that in a situation where there's a gap between like you know the law and order Mm-hmm. You can run a town yeah. because most people don't want to do that or they don't want to like decide that they might be a henchman, but they're not going to be the one that has to. So, uh, yeah, I feel like that that's you, you got to understand that. Like the reason p- these criminals are scary is because they're willing to kill people. And when you also add a guy who just doesn't sh- k- sh- care whether he lives or dies for yeah. whatever reason. It's it's intimidating. Yeah. And it's, um I don't know. I mean, it's certainly like a character that I have since seen Michael Madsen play yeah. many times. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I this might be the first thing that I remember seeing him in. Yeah. Uh, for sure. But he is, is in, like, every movie ever made. You say that, but I can right now think of three movies, and two of them are Quentin Tarantino. One of them, this Reservoir movie, Dogs, yeah. and the other movie, uh, uh, he, he plays Bill's brother in Kill Bill. Uh, Kill Bill. Yeah. What, what else has he been in? So... Probably a lot of stuff that you're you're gonna go. Oh, of course! All right, oh, hit fucking me. course! Hit me. Uh, so he plays a character. One of his earliest notable roles in my mind is War Games. He plays. I think he's the guy who grabs Matthew Broderick at the facility and shoves him into the room to one of the soldiers to lock him out. Yeah, or yeah, to lock him in. Okay, I couldn't. I I don't. That doesn't ring any bells. And we've seen War okay. Games in the last five years. I th- we watched it together once. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have um, a clear memory. Like I don't know. I don't usually dream uh, non-erotic <laughs> dreams involving you. So I think it happens. <laughs> uh, the other. Well, let's see. So we go. So I haven't seen, like, a ton of his early stuff, but we get to... He's apparently a character in the Doors movie. Mm. Um, he's in Thelma and Louise. Oh, right. He's in Reservoir Dogs, obviously. Uh, I'm just kind of going through the stuff that I've seen. Free Willy. He plays the dad. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a non-scary role? Yeah, yeah. Just, like, a very non-Michael Madsen role. 
Uh, have you seen Species? Uh, I have. I cannot place him in Species. I, I think he's like the the doctor who's chasing like one of Forrest Whitaker's goons or something. Okay. Um, in Species, I don't know. He's in Wyatt Earp. He plays Virgil Earp. No. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's the shitty version. Tombstone's the good one. Okay. I'm like, yeah, no, yeah. it's Bill Paxton, fucker. <laughs> <laughs> he got it wrong. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, right. Free Willy too, of course. Um, Donnie Brasco. Yeah. That's a great movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, man, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, Species 2, of course. The sequels he's going to be in. Uh, we're getting into the 2000s. Michael Madsen had like a run and then... I feel like there's some stuff that it's a ama- he's he has like a Mickey Rourke type of thing where like Mickey Rourke had this 90s career where he was this kind of like bad boy pretty boy Johnny Depp kind of guy and then he turns into his character from Sin City for real <laughs> like you okay. know what I'm saying like everything about him exploded uh-huh. in size his fingernails his face his pecs. And like Michael, Ma- like if you look at him in, in Kill Bill versus him in this, he's just let he just let himself go to seed, man. Yeah, he's completely transformed his facial type, body type. I know, getting old's hell. It well, is. Look yeah. at me. I'm not but, gonna blame the guy. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's apparently in a Bond movie, Die Another Day. Is he really? I guess Damien Falco. Do you remember that character? No, no, yeah. no, no. It's in the Brosnan era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one about. Uh, that's the one where the High Sparrow takes over C- uh, CNN. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's not that's not one of the better ones. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, Kill Bill Michelle, Volume yeah. 1 and 2 and not 3, right? He dies in 2? No, there's just or two. There's, there's only just two, two yeah, yeah. Um, Had me going there for a minute. Yeah. Well, he's in Sin City. That's that's the other one I knew he was in. Um, oh, shit. Right, he's in Blood Rain, that terrible movie of based on the video game. Huh. Oh, right. That's uh, that's that one fucker that made all those. Uh, what was his Yui Bowl? Yeah, yeah. He's uh, is that his name? Is it U- 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 People call him Uve. Uve. Uve Bole. I don't know if that's real. <laughs> Wooly Bully. Uh, I'm not seeing a ton of other stuff recently. Okay. All right. But, well, you proved your but point. But he's in, he's in a lot of stuff. Um, and I'm sure I just haven't seen like some of the big stuff that he's in. Uh huh. Like, if you uh, yeah. told me he was one of the soldiers in Stargate, I would have believed you. Because right, he's that, right. like, that kind of guy. Or if you said he was one of the Navy SEALs in fucking The Rock. Uh-huh. Like, he's got that, like, you, I can just see him, like, taking a drag. And he's got this, like, De Niro thing in this movie going on where he does that can like he's got the way he drag he like he squints his eyes and drags yeah. a cigarette and it's like he's sizing you up and like, oh, fuck, I did not, I did not size up right. <laughs> I uh, did not did not size right up at all. Man, things are going to go bad for me. Seen like nothing he's been in, in the last ten years. Well, you know, hateful maybe. eight, obviously. Right. What was he in the hateful eight? Was he one uh, of the help at the lodge that got shot right away? Oh no no no! He's the guy that. Shit! I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. Either. I don't really like that movie, though. I didn't. I don't either. Not one of my favorite. All right, this. I don't. I think. Yeah, this is. We might. Boring. We might. We might be dragging our feet a little bit on the podcast. But but he has like two hundred and two hundred and eighty acting credits on IMDb. He's mm-hmm. an insanely prolific actor, mm-hmm. uh, and I guarantee you've seen him in something other than just Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about the Commode storyline? Okay. Because I loved how that evolved from. 
him reading the script to him practicing practicing the scripts to him like walking down the street as he's re- rehearsing it to the actual command performance he does in front of the gangsters and he's just embellished yeah. it and embellished it and embellished it um i thought that was a really it's one of those things where it, it's it could have been like uh, you know what we're talking about with with sully where they show us it and then or they show sully remembering it then they show it and then they yeah. show sully walking through it and it could have been like okay I've seen the same fucking three minutes as gripping as it is six times now. Mm-hmm. But somehow it's like he threads the performance with the different parts and you don't get the end until like the very like, like the finale of the commode uh, inception thing uh, yeah. that I really, I really liked. I thought it was really, really fucking impressive. Yeah, that could that scene could have gone horribly wrong. I also really I thought another standout scene like for because there is some dark shit. You know, like you had need something to rinse the torture out of your mouth. <laughs> the Joe's talk about picking out colors, I thought was oh was, yeah yeah, was where he's really assigning good. all the colors. It's yeah. Like I've done this before, where people and they get four guys fighting over who's going to be Mister Black, <laughs> and like, and then he gets like he like, he stutters over his speech, and then he says, oh, "You guys got me so mad, I can hardly talk." I'm morally certain that that's an improvisation. Yeah, that he just fucked up his lines Gotta and then just made it work, but it's fucking great yeah it's great and that's one of those things that he keeps in that makes it feel real and the the thing is is like i i think 90 percent why i say that is because fuck you quentin tarantino if you write your dialogue that good i to where it's like like you know what what i've realized is like because kevin smith suffers from the opposite problem insanely good dialogue but no one talks that way sure like no one on their smartest most prepared day where quentin tarantino nails this kind of like ram like like Perfect examples like in Pulp Fiction where Jules and uh, fucking other guy are going back and forth about like stuff in Europe. And he's like, well, what they call like, you know, quarter pads. Like, Vincent. Well, yeah. yeah, Vincent. And he's like, well, what do they call uh, a Big Mac? A Big Mac. Well, what do you call a Whoppers? I don't know. I, just, I, I, I didn't go to Burger King. Right. And the conversation kind of stops there. Uh-huh. Like no one would write dialogue like that. But Quentin Tarantino wrote dialogue like that. Yeah. So I, I almost believe that he wrote in a flub just because that's what this old man would really do. This old man's angry, and he's got these young whippersnappers. He's, he's losing control, and that's my uh, best Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, it's, it's tough to pull off a Tarantino. You know what's even tougher, though? What's is that? for Tarantino to pull off a convincing performance of anyone. <laughs> I, I still, like, I've seen him act in several of his own movies now. And, and, and you see I just him act. Yeah, I just don't think it's good. He's not terrible, but the fact is right. you, you are watching him act. Like, yep. he's got the same great dialogue. Like, that like that uh, speech he gives to Jules and Vern. No, not yeah, Jules and Vern. The, the dead <laughs> Jules and Vern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vincent and Jules. Jules yeah. and Vincent about, you know, like my, his wife getting home and, uh, yes, it's good coffee because um, I cause I like to taste it. Like, that's a great speech. Yeah. But he's given it like a C, mm-hmm. C minus execution. And he still does it, though. He was one of the Australian goons in, uh, in, uh, in, in uh, the, the, the goddamn it, Django Unchained. Right. Yep. Was he in? I think he was in Hateful Eight. Wasn't he like one of the Lodge help? I 
think so. He likes throwing himself in that stuff. Yeah, I think he always does it. And you know what? He Fuck wasn't. It. I, yeah, I mean, Fuck it. I don't he's, begrudge it. He's Tarantino. Like it's right. gonna take away like a point from the movie's one hundred percent score. Right. Who gives a shit? The the the, the only crime in it is he's that he's it. depriving a really good character actor a hell of a That's hell true. of a part. You get a Giamatti in there and see what he can do with the the lines about. <laughs> I would love to see dead Paul Edward Giam- storage. Yes, and- does, 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 does there does there a sign on my lawn that says? <laughs> yeah, I would love to see Paul Giamatti tear <laughs> right. that up. Tear he that could, up. I guarantee it. He could get like if he delivers a he rises he he, he gets to the like full. I'm not gonna fucking drink a Merlot like pitch at the end of it. That would be uh-huh. perfect. That'd be really good. This is a man who can who's pulled off a rhinoceros before. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. He can't do it. Um, there's a couple things I think are interesting that like, um, you know, this is feedback that touches on this. I don't want to step on uh, the the feedbacks uh, sho- shoes. The other thing okay. that we didn't talk about that's important to Tim Roth, like. It, um, it's not just the cops getting slaughtered, but the fact that he himself blows a woman away. Yeah. And, like, for him, and then he gets shot, and, like, that's kind of like this karmic poetic justice, but also it shows that, you know, maybe him and the criminals aren't that different. Like, they're not going to hurt people. Sometimes it just happens. Sure. Uh, yeah. And that really, you know, like, what must it be like to be an undercover cop? Like, I don't even know how the hell... Part of me wishes that these people lived so I could see the sequel, which is just the massive clusterfuck of a cry, like like how how this gets written up in the reports and uh-huh. whose heads roll because of this because like so many civilians and so many police officers got killed. Is Big Joe that big of a problem? Big Joe doesn't seem like he's strangling L.A. Big Big Joe seems like he's running a like a minor sub hustle, you know, side hustle. Yeah, I I mean, I guess. Hmm. That's a good question. I how many banks do you think they've robbed in the past? Well, the number's not zero. Yeah, I mean, is this like a string, a, a rash of bank robberies that yeah. they, the cops are like, oh fuck, we got to do something like, about this. That's the thing. This. Like, there's something deep in the the law enforcement psyche that hates a bank robber. Yeah, like you know, cops and robbers. That's, classic, that's yeah. like you know, cowboys and Indians. Like, they're just like mm-hmm. there's a natural enmity there. Between the, the the two goals are opposing. Yeah, we want to settle this land. Uh, this is our land, fuckers. We want to rob this bank. We we, we it's illegal, and that, that's our job. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this is, there's there's no love lost there in that relationship. Yeah, I guess I just took it for granted that Joe was a problem, like a big problem. It just seems uh, like like he's like this seems like the biggest heist he's ever done. Like they and it's it's yeah, essentially. Yeah. A bunch of cut down, like you know, but a, a couple million dollars. I guess that's big. I guess that's big, but it's not like Wall Street Pretty big. big. No, it's not like no. you know Pablo Escobar big. Yeah, it's not like Corleone running like like I don't think he owns politicians or cops. Obviously not. None of this shit would have ever happened. Yeah, it's some kind of local law yeah. enforcement that's busting this though right but then like, that's, a, that's like quentin tarantino's bread and butter um and kind of like Lin, Lin, uh, elmore leonard too like we saw that in uh, uh jackie brown like mm, yeah you know sam jackson uh is not a high level criminal there too yep he's a guy on the come maybe but he's nowhere near like running to say like Mar- i guess marcellus wallace like he does seem like he was the mob boss of la he felt, yeah. He, he might have a couple senate. He might have a couple city councilmen. Might have uh-huh. some police commissioners bought, and so yeah, like he's got, yeah. he's got like reach that goes all the way in, all the way to Indochina. <laughs> sure. So, <laughs> yep. Some, some some waiting in a bowl of rice, right? The, <laughs> some some golden here. triangle shit. Uh, he's he's got his 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 hands in that pie. Yep. Uh, what else we want to talk about, man? 
so I, I kind of like I talked briefly about Tarantino being a you know cinephile, uh, and you really feel in this movie because mostly because the credits are up front, mm. which a lot of movies don't do anymore. He's yep. just like fuck it, I'm putting all the credits up front. Yep. Uh, that's I can't remember if that was just how it was done in that time period, or if that's like a throwback that he it's a little bit of a throw. Even then, I think yeah. it's a little bit of a throwback. I, I really felt like he was just trying to pay some kind of tribute to the people who made this movie possible, right? Um, so that's that's pretty cool. Uh, the the acting from Tim Roth, we've talked about you know some areas where it's pretty good. I think it's actually pretty rough when he first gets shot. Yep, yep. and he's in the car and he's screaming. I don't know what it feels like to be shot. But I'd like right. to think that if I were shot, I would not feel, I would not sound like Curly having his nipples twisted <laughs> by <laughs> Mo. Yeah. Or like, I, I don't know, one of the the sticky bandits, or wet bandits, the wet yeah, bandits, yeah, yeah. having bricks thrown on his head. Yeah. Because, my God, that performance, I don't like it at all. No, it's pretty bad. And I, but I'm, I, because I was thinking the same thing when I was watching. I'm like, Am I the guy that expects Quentin Tarantino to be like, okay, okay, Roth, pull pull it back, pull it back, buddy? Let's 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 do, like like dial it down a couple notches, like yeah, get, it's his first. I I want because that's the thing was was thing, Tim like, was Tim Roth just like he came out of the gate just thrashing and kicking and bucking and like you got a bolt in your guts <laughs> and you're not trying to lay still and hold. we've only got or, one of these cars, Tim, chill out. Or or was Quentin Tarantino just like more? More, you're you're right. passing a baby. You got a stone the size of a melon coming out your dick hole. More, <laughs> there's a there's a fucking tiger in your guts. More, I I get the impression that almost you're scared to die, Tim. More, he might the character of uh-huh. Mr. Orange might have been overacting here to try and get taken to the hospital and get out of the situation. I'm not sure. You're right because because later, he is faking, and that's the only part in the movie where I felt like his acting was anything less than top notch. Yeah, me too. So. Wow, now you really got me whammy fucked. Because I. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> it's like reservoir dogs. You know exactly what it means. You just can't articulate it. Right. You got me whammy fucked. You're right. Um, you know, it's like, that's like, is this going to be the next. Let's, let's put that on straight dope. That you people yeah. have noticed that uh, R- Tim Roth is overacting, but actually he was yeah. playing that he was overacting and he's in it. But I don't know. Then you'd say, like, well, anyone that could go- do the commode. He's not a method. He's more of a. He's not an improvisational guy. He's more of a scripted yeah, right, guy. Right. He's old school. He's old school. He hadn't Actually, rehearsed the gut shot. That's the thing. Reservoir Dogs is about the gangsters. It's 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 the it's the tension between old school Hollywood and and like the Marlon Brando method acting era. Oh boy. It's Peter O'Toole versus Marlon Brando, and that's that you're supposed to understand that when you peel back you, these when, when you peel back the layers, stinky onion layers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah, about that. It's but... a real it's a real whammy fuck when you realize that. Yeah, that was the one piece of acting I was just like, eh, eh, not for me. Uh, I like Stephen Wright's radio voice. Like, that's really – you say that that happens in, in Pulp Fiction too? Stephen Wright? Yeah. Is – He's the DJ. Okay, Billy. The sleepy, yeah, sleepy the, DJ. He is very sleepy. Holy you didn't shit. Rec- so, like, I feel like he's got an immediately recognizable voice. It's like I don't Gilbert recognize Godfrey. his name. Really? He's the no. guy that does, like, the really weird observational comedy where he just kind of deadpans it. Okay. I mean, like if you, you it, like the thing, it's recognizable if you've seen a sketch of his or one of his standards. It's but otherwise, I guess you maybe know. that's why he sounds so familiar. Maybe he's not in Pulp Fiction. Mm. Maybe I just know him from see around. This is how the fake straight dope articles get <laughs> get passed around. Yeah. According to Bald Move, noted noted film scholar Jim Jones, 
let's can we talk about the torture scene? Okay. That Ugh. I tell you what, I I it was hard it's that shit's hard for me to watch. Because like, you know, I'd say I don't like torture porn because I guess I have an overdeveloped sense of empathy and I can't help but think how bad it would be to be in that situation. You're not taught it's gonna it's gonna be terrible and it's gonna hurt your family and it's gonna be a bad way to go and there's no way like like and the way Michael Madsen was just like, okay, are you done? Are you finished? Are you, mm-hmm. are, 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 and like, just like, Jesus Christ, it was, it's, it's too much. And they don't even like, I, like I have, I, before I watched this film again, I had a clear memory of Michael Madsen sawing through that guy's ear. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked to realize that Tarantino actually pivoted away. Yeah. And like, I'm like, God damn, my mind is like really filling in the blanks there. But that is just a really out of nowhere brutal scene with the stuck in the middle and the fact that he walks out and gets the gas can and this, the music goes away mm-hmm. and, the, and then you almost forget it was there and he kicks the door open with his gas can and the fucking absurdity of the music kicking back on. Jesus yeah, no, Christ. It's, I, to me, that scene makes the movie. Like I, yeah, I don't because I, like I said, I think Michael Madsen is a standout performance, and without that scene, mm-hmm. he's not. Right, he's and just it, the guy who's kind of just low key, and you, you heard off screen he shot some people, and also it builds like the classic Quentin Tarantino pressure cooker scene, like the basement scene in the Glorious Bastards. It's this is going to last yeah. ten minutes, and you're just like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, and then suddenly gunfire rings out and it ends. Yeah. Uh it it's it's fucking effective. You're right. I think you're right. Without that scene, this is an interesting character piece with some good acting and some good dialogue, but there's not an exclamation point. I maybe the final gunfight would still Yeah, that's that's I think you're really right. It's, good. it's 1A, but Yeah, it's for me it's the number 1. It's the reason that I remember this film. Yeah, yeah, it sticks with you. It sticks with you for sure. Yeah. Uh what else do we want to talk about? Uh one person we haven't given any love to yet is Steve Buscemi. What do you think of his performance in this? Uh, I think he's really good. Like okay. he seems the kind of fucking dirtbag that would stiff a waitress because she didn't <laughs> give him six cups of coffee. Uh huh. And like, that's the thing. Like the only thing that annoyed me about this is no one pointed out the fact that waitresses don't make minimum wage. They make Less below. Than, yeah. They make like a buck twenty-five or a buck seventy-five or something like that, and and they make that low of a wage because they're supposed to get tips. Right. So like. The reason you don't tip at McDonald's and you do because McDonald's does get a minimum wage. I mean, it's still not you know great, but there is a distinction there, and it kind of bothers me that that didn't come out in the dialogue because that's the hammer. Yeah. That's the hammer. It is, yeah. It's the the one indefensible. Because uh, I'm the same way. Like with like uh, when I go and pick up an order at kid or at Chipotle, like mm-hmm. I'm not going to put a dollar in your bucket. No, I'm not going to tip at Starbucks. Like yeah. you're, you're pouring me a coffee. People like, do, but like start. Like, it's, it's especially absurd of Starbucks because rel- for like line type order people, they get paid pretty well with decent benefits. Or at least yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. I'm not a Starbucks guy. But no, yeah, I'm pretty sure they do. It'd be one thing if you'd be like just a whole like I'm gonna stiff this this woman because what I mean even if you only drank three cups of coffee like you took up an hour of her fucking time, dude. Right. It's not that's the other thing. It's not about how much you like. If you talk to waiters and waitresses, that's the stuff that drives them nuts. Like people come in with a half off coupon and tip based on that. Like oh, their sure, work yeah. wasn't discounted. You should always like and I I do the opposite when I have a gift card and I'm not paying as much. I tend to tip extra because. You know, I'm getting a little, they get a little, but... Yeah, I always thought it was weird to tip based on the bill. Like, yeah, if I order... It's the same amount of work for you if I order a salad mm-hmm. versus if I order a filet mignon. Yeah. Like, 
a five dollar dish versus a thirty five dollar dish? Like what's what's the difference on your end? I think it's just a Nothing. quantity. Like it's it's you know you have to take. I think. To the extent that it scales, first of all, the fancier place, the better the service, almost universal. Sure, You're not going to yeah. go to like St. Elmo's downtown Indianapolis and have a bad waiter or waitress. Sure, that I understand. Secondly, yeah. like you know, a, a dinner for two is forty dollars. Dinner for eight is one hundred and forty. That's yeah, but it, and, and I get it. If I order like four, four or five drinks, you should. Pro- I should probably tip a lot more because right. you come to the table more. Right, you have to keep that on your mind more. Like right, I get it. So I, I don't know. His point is completely without nuance which is the problem <laughs> and that's the thing about that. you believe a guy like steve Buscemi would say yeah. that yeah you do like i've got this face and <laughs> i get this oh, reaction no. in life and this is kind of my way of punching back uh-huh no like, i do think that's like that's, that's a valid thing like it's sometimes uh the little guy finds a way to, to spread the pain like that's, mm-hmm. the, that's i've observed this countless times like it's fairly petty but yeah I no get it. I dude get it. like like look at all the fucking nerds that like oh, sure. apparently couldn't wait to get in the position of power to pass on the fucking discrimination right to, to be in a situation to tormentor it's like so much fun like they didn't get the lesson of like this is terrible we shouldn't do this to anybody steve basimi man <laughs> thing is super nice guy he's not like that in real life yeah yeah let's say it's it's what mr pink yeah yeah that's mr pink not steve buscemi. i have great respects for uh, i have great respects i have great yeah, great respect them. for the steve buscemi's and the giamatti's out there i feel like i'm one yeah. of you guys like i know what i got and i work it as hard as i can but I'm ne- it's never going to be as easy as Brad Pitt. Sometimes you can get bitter about that. It's all right. No one has it as easy as Brad Pitt. Attractiveness no is one. a is a fucking great privilege to have. Uh, are we about to get the feedback, or you got some more stuff to say? I think so. Um, I I guess I have a problem with the very end of this, which is Mr. Orange telling Mr. White that he's a cop. Hmm. I I understand, I guess, why he does it, but it's the stupidest thing he could possibly do here. Of course. Because he could wait. He could wait until the cops roll in and fix the situation for him mm-hmm. and then tell him. But then that's twisting a knife in the gut. It's not an honest – like he – is the difference between – So he's giving him an opportunity to make a decision here? Do you want to kill me? Yeah, I do. I think it's yeah. like this is like I'm I'm Ugh. I'm treating you as a brother the way you did. You, I put my life in your hands or you put your life in my hands. I'm putting my life in your hands. And, well, big mistake. And orange. I saw Heiber Keitel's like – fairly bestial performance there like he's just bellowing like a bull like that that was yeah. really like it's kind of just as much of an overreaction as uh as, as mr roth but i don't know like i don't know why i bought his extreme emotional pain and chagrin of throwing his entire life's work away on a, a, a gut bet that he got wrong yeah um but that's that's the uh, yeah i bought it like i said i, I had my whole thesis statement is like that's one of the things that made it for me is that that's the emotional complexity of this relationship between these guys i guess i just w- wish that orange had gotten out of it yeah you always um, want to see the good guy live yeah so it's a it's a real bummer for me at the end when he gets killed also i don't but. you think that a little bit of that is mr orange thinks he deserves to die like that's huh. like, like like this is a little like i shot this innocent woman yeah I, I stood by and watched my brothers in arms getting blown away. <laughs> I am not. I am, I cannot walk away and be considered an innocent. So there's a little bit of that too. He's kind of giving karma its chance. Yeah, it's like the op. It's like not suicide by cop. It's suicide by thug. Yeah, you know. Um, and I. That's the thing. Like I. 
I remember the first time, like, not I, I really didn't know like how this was going to go. Is this going to be like a a, a, um, a Pacino uh, De Niro Heat situation, or is this mm-hmm. Harvey Keitel's going to be like? Because like even when he's putting his gun against his cheek, I'm like, I don't know, he's going to shoot this guy. Yeah. And then was it like it fades? You hear the pop like off screen. You hear the pop pop, and then the multiple gunshots. So like you know, I mean, they don't explicitly tell you what happened, but it's pretty clear that he blew out. Sure, Mr. Yeah. Orange's brains, and then him got shot in, in, in return. Definitely. Uh, I got one final question for you before we get to feedback. Hit like me. a virgin, is it about a sensitive girl <laughs> who meets a nice guy, or is it about big dicks? What's Madonna say about it? Because I, I don't I know what she says about it. I, the, to me, it's the sensitive girl who meets a nice guy. The thing is, it's fu- yeah, but the thing is, is like also Quentin Tarantino's not wrong. It's one of those things that, like, <laughs> it's an interpretation that you could have and come at it. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's another way to it's another way to look at. I it. I feel like it's pulling subtext by ignoring text. It's much more of a um, it's much more of a vulgar uh, physical flesh interpretation than a, a enlightened and spiritual emotional one. But uh, and absolutely a I take that one of these guys would have. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Uh, all right. Shall we get to the feedback? Yeah. Uh, Laura Hamilton has up first. This is my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. Unless you count huh. True Romance, then it gets bumped to second. Uh, uh, he the, didn't write that one, though. I think he didn't direct it. Didn't direct it. Okay, because this is his directorial day. De- I don't. I honestly, I don't know. Because I True Romance is another one I have yet to see. Yeah, me. Uh, but Laura Laura Hamilton is a bit of a Quentin Tarantino. Uh, a little bit of a QT hipster. He wrote it. He didn't direct she, it. She 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 was super into Quentin Tarantino before he was cool. Damn. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, How could you be? Like, he was cool right off the (laughs) bat. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Like, like I was reading Roger Ebert's review, and Roger Ebert's like, he gave it two and a half stars, which I feel is probably close to how I felt when I first saw it. But mine was, I know what Quentin Tarantino's capable of, so, like, I'm kind of grading him on a handicap. I honestly was shocked that he didn't give this, like, a three and a half, four stars. But because the review reads, like... Like, this guy's amazing. I can't wait to see when he makes the next one. He said, this guy's amazing. I can't wait to see him make a better film. Yeah, I I can get that. Uh, two and a half seems a little low. I would brutal. say, like, three, though. It does seem brutal. But anyway, with Inglorious Bastards and Death Proof following closely behind, Hateful Eight's my least favorite, although I'll admit I need to yeah. give it a rewatch. Where Me does too. Reservoir Dogs rate for y'all in Tarantino's filmography? That's a fucking oh, tough question. With Kill Bill and Inglorious and... Because I think I Django. think I think I think I like Fuck. Kill Bill and Glorious Bastards and Django and Chain approximately all the same, and then just a notch above that is Pulp Fiction. Uh, I think a notch below I've got that, my order. a notch below that is is uh, uh, Fox Foxy no not Foxy Brown Jackie Brown Jackie Brown, huh? And interesting. Then, then you've got like you know Reservoir Dog and 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 all that down there too. I think if I. Had to put them in order. Mm-hmm. This is a rough order off the top of my head. But I'd say in descending order, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown. You're going up? No, so... down. Okay, so Pulp Fiction's your number one. Yeah. All right. Uh, so Pulp Fiction's number one. Jackie Brown's number two. Uh... Shit. There, from there it gets tough. Right. Django number three. Because here's the thing about Pulp Fiction. I think Pulp Fiction is the Raiders of the Lost Ark of gangster movies. 
Like yeah, it's it's hands down. watchable as hell. It's fun. It moves fast. It's got like some Super serious. You can't dismiss it as just popcorn fluff because it's it's uh-huh. it's so well made. But then it's not it's not on the same like plane as like The Godfather and stuff like that. No. But but like it is like the perfect example of it's that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, and that grindhouse sensibility meets gangster film. Yeah. I didn't. That's the thing. Like I didn't like either of the ground ground grindhouse experiments yeah they i, I don't know i'm um, very surprised that laura said that she she thinks it's uh uh right right up right up there with among his best it's not bad I mean, death proof is has like a scene that's really cool like the car chase yeah is fucking amazing but the rest of it is like the girl version of everything you've seen tarantino do before huh well, maybe that's that's. I mean, I guess when you spit it like that, I feel like I'm a shit for not liking it. But uh. <laughs> but but like I've seen it so many times, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I love yeah, Kill yeah. Bill. That's the girl version of like, and that's the Bruce thing. Willis like, you going can't, and you can't ass. gender bend something, and that's it. Like you have to. Like I, I feel right. like that. I mean, it's not like an invalid thing to try, but like you, I think have to raise the bar or come at that material from an interesting angle or else you've just gender bent something. Yeah. Like, no, I shouldn't get a award for showing up to comic con in a wonder woman costume. <laughs> and okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, like congratulations. Fucking lations. Like you got to say, you got to say something about it. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so where there, I think we settled that, that hash, the acting, especially from Basimi, Madsen and Roth for me and the use of music, K. Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s is perfection. The movie really sets up Tarantino's reputation for use of dialogue. The commode story, the tipping argument, Like a Virgin are all standouts, but really all conversations in this movie are fantastic. i really going to have to give this movie another watch this weekend. You should. It's a, it's yeah. a lot more fun than I remembered it, too. Yeah, I, that's fair. I, I can't explain it. Like I said, I think I got mad at the movie for, for fucking up the twist for me. Uh, here's a good one. Steven Sprague. Question. How would this movie be different if it had been made after Quentin Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino, Jesus, <laughs> had become a respected director post Pulp Fiction? Huh. Also, how do you think a bigger budget would have affected the film? Would we have gotten to see the actual heist, more set locations, more scenes? I tell you what, I don't think he pans from the ear. I think the only reason he pans from the ear is because he couldn't pull off uh, ear severing with his budget man that that would be a shame i think to show it yeah i think it I think was almost would've. more effective without seeing it uh, the way i think he would have and also the other thing is uh he used all of his budget on that severed ear the stump which wasn't uh-huh. all that convincing because quentin tarantino's fatal head wound looks like someone smeared ketchup on his forehead <laughs> like it's it's which it's who, bad who are you talking about specifically the cop no, no, like when Quentin Tarantino's like, I can't see, I'm blind, I got blood in my eyes. Like, that was supposed to be a fatal head wound. He died from it. Oh, Remember, right, they say, I saw right. Mr. Or- I, I saw Mr. Brown or Blue get his head blown off. And he's driving the fucking car while he gets shot, right? Yeah. <laughs> it it really just looks like someone squeezed ketchup on his forehead. Yeah. And he's got an, like, yeah. So, like, so you're right. Those would have been much better, much more convincing. And it would have been gorier. But Yeah, some, I don't think I wanted that in that scene. Yeah, but some, I wanted the empathy. I didn't want the disgust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking, like, there's, I've gotten think of several movies where Quentin Tarantino does pull away and doesn't show stuff. Yeah. Uh, but then sometimes he does. Um, so I was going to say, like, oh, bigger, bigger name actors, but 
Did, did really. he need it? Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Right. Jackson would have been. Yeah. But I don't know if John Sam- Travolta. Like, right. John Travolta would have been. But who would he Michael played? Madsen, I guess. That old fucker that was like Mr. Blue, he would have actually It would have been Mr. a much Blue, more impressive had a dancing role. scene. Yeah. <laughs> he would have pulled out some Saturday Night Fever moves. Uh, I think. I think. I think Travolta could pull off the Madsen role. I don't I think, think so. it would have been. I think it would have been a notch below. Yeah. But that's a good what if. Mm-hmm. Or another one is what if Madsen had played? Now nah, Madsen, that's a thing. I don't think Madsen could could do uh, Vince. Yeah, not the same way. No, because the dance. Like I, I mean, I don't know. Like I just don't think he could have pulled off the smooth dancing moves and like the kind of the <laughs> the, the natural yeah. grace uh, and that that. Yeah, that imagine kind of- that scene from Pulp Fiction if you had somebody who couldn't really dance. It'd be pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like watching Iron Fist because that guy can't actually fight, right? And it just all falls apart. Um, so that's uh, yeah. Like I said, bigger names. Like I don't, I don't know. If he was already famous, I would look at this as like a misstep. a notch down. Yeah, yeah, yeah from yeah. Pulp Fiction. Yeah, that's 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 the other thing is because this is everything that this film does essentially. Like, like Pulp Fiction's got the better torture scene. Pulp Fiction's got. Like it leaves you with a better taste out of your mouth, and mm-hmm. it does it solely by manipulating the timeline. By the way, right? right. Like if if the the way, uh, although I guess Bruce Willis does get away, and with the just, and he's the protagonist, hot dialogue. Like, yeah, I mean, Pulp Fiction, it, in as much as Reservoir Dogs has amazing dialogue, yeah. Pulp Fiction takes that up a notch. Yeah, in my mind. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I, hmm, I mean, I like The Godfather better. I've watched it more. But, like, you know, in the same way that, like, some of the scenes in The Godfather just make you just shut up and watch it. Like, I'm, yeah, I guess I'm just yeah. going to watch this camera pull in on this guy's face for five fucking minutes as he talks about how he feels about the American justice system as it relates to his daughter. Uh-huh. I guess I'm just going to do that. Like, there's a su- couple scenes in, in Pulp Fiction where, like, you're just going to sit there and watch these people say these words that you've seen a million times before because it's so fucking good. Yep. Anyway, uh, that's all the feedback we got. But uh, oh, okay. I do want to appreciate. Um, I do want to show appreciation to everyone that did support the the commission podcast. I do apologize that we are so grossly late. Wait, late on this project. I apologize for the fact yeah. that I can't say anything. I'm just just really <laughs> whammy fucked over here, and I haven't recovered since mid podcast. Uh, but thanks to Stephen Sprague, Celt seventy seven, Laura Hamilton, ZTZIEMKE, and Don C for making this happen. It's a lot of fun. And I'm just picturing. Just a brutal fucking from one of the press your luck demons. <laughs> Whammy the whammies, yeah, yeah, like like oh wham, like it's, except for that, it just keeps going. Like yeah, it's, yeah, it's a fractal pattern of getting a whammy. <laughs> uh, I thought it was going to be like getting fucked with a frisbee, but that would be whammo. That'd be whammo fucks <laughs> or a hula hoop. Oh, um, but yeah, thanks for that. Like it's it's fun because like I've seen this before, but this I my my opinion changed on the film. That's always fun. I I like seeing new stuff and like seeing new stuff in a new light. So. Mine too, but maybe it's because I watched Jackie Brown since then. Yeah, Jackie Brown is super good. It is. Uh, I guess I got to see his True Romance because I think that's the only Tarantino, uh, Tarantino adjacent film that I haven't seen. Uh, so hmm. we I I tell you how to commission a podcast, but we're a long ways away from opening up those gates. We'll see how we get through this. Uh, the fall and the slow period of the winter to see if uh, how, how we're feeling about that. But we're still like 20 movies in the hole. Yeah. <laughs> and we're only cranking them out one, one a week from here, here on to the foreseeable future. Uh, so, yeah, hope you enjoy it. 
Uh, if you like this one, we got a slew of them. You can you can click on the uh, the bald movie topic and just kind of scroll through all the the first run and commission podcasts. And there's a, there's a lot of fun. It's one of my favorite features. Yeah. Sorry we've been away for so long. Uh, Next we, up is Batman Begins. I am. Ex- I think yes. Depending on the order of feedback we get. Stuff, right. We so. got a, actually. It's a pretty decent lineup coming up. Yeah. We got uh, Doctor Strange Love coming up. We got some. We got some. We got some goodies coming up, mm-hmm. um, and I've already solicited feedback. So, if you're hearing this and you're like, "Oh, whoa, 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 what now?" Then check your email because uh, I yeah. sent you something requesting uh, pre-feedback, as we call it. Uh, but we'll be back next week. Uh, until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>